Welcome to the Moz Monthly Podcast. Thorough discussion and in-depth information about the news, stories, and trends related to emergency medical services in Michigan. The Moz Monthly Podcast is brought to you by the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. Here's your host, Moz Executive Director, Angela Madden. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Moz Monthly Podcast. We have a very special episode today. Joining us on the podcast, Tri-Hospital EMS President and CEO Ken Cummings and Bay Ambulance Director Gary Wadiga. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing well. Hi, Angela. Great to be with you. So, Ken, we're going to start with you. Uh, I just want to make sure everybody is uh, knows a little bit about you and a little bit about your background. You've been with Tri-Hospital since its establishment in 1983 and have been on the Moz Board of Directors since a, about that same time. Is that correct? Uh, very close. Yes. Uh, Tri-Hospital MS uh, is a joint venture of our local uh, hospitals here in St. Clair County. Uh, we are a nonprofit uh, corporation. Um, as uh, you indicated, uh, we did uh, start service here in our community in 1983. So about 38 years, uh, we've been serving the citizens of St. Clair County. And uh, very, very shortly after uh, I took over uh, my position here uh, at Trihouse BMS, I was invited to uh, participate in a uh, mass uh, meeting. And, and uh, that led to future meetings. And that led to me becoming very engaged and involved in mass and, and uh I confess, I don't know exactly how many years I've been on the board of directors, but uh, it's been many, and, and it's been an, an incredibly uh, valuable uh, partnership uh, for me and my organization. Gary, you have been uh, the director at Bay Ambulance in Baraga, and for everybody listening to us today, Bar- Baraga is 50, 70 miles west of Marquette. Do I have that right? 70 miles west of Marquette, 30 miles south of Houghton way up there, everybody, um, for your, and you have been, uh, you've been an EMT and licensed since the eighties as well, and have been a lifelong, um, proponent of EMS, particularly rural EMS systems, uh, because you serve in that position on the emergency medical services coordinating committee. That is correct. Um, I left here to go to school and said, I'd never come back. And when I had the opportunity to come back, I jumped at it. So, Well, I know the citizens of Baraga are grateful that you are there. Thank you for joining us as well. So, gentlemen, today we are going to talk about one very specific issue, and that is what it means to have a general fund or budget, state budget increase in Medicaid reimbursement for EMS and for ambulance services. So those of you um, who remember last month, we had State Representative Jeff Yarick on the podcast, and he talked about the initiative from soup to nuts on the legislative side. Uh, The three of us are going to talk about this same initiative on the Moz side, uh, the work that we did and what it means to you um, and to your individual services and the other services around the state. So Gary, let's start with you. What is your initial first gut reaction to knowing that there is now $12.9 million of state dollars or $54 million gross going into Medicaid reimbursement for EMS? It'll be a huge benefit to us. Um, We traditionally, our little service who does about a thousand calls a year, uh, traditionally writes off somewhere between 90 and a hundred thousand dollars in, in, Medicaid dollars that we can't recoup because of the level of payment that they provide. 
um, that, that for a small service, that is a ton, ton of money. Um, you, perhaps we might not see some of the, some of the revenue that the bigger places will see because just because of the lower number of calls that non money won't, won't be generated like some places, but, but certainly we were extremely grateful for what was proposed and what was approved and hundred thousand dollars. That that's an employee. That's half of a new ambulance. It's tons of equipment. So um, we were extremely pleased with, with um, the passage of that in the budget. Ken, how about you? Well, I, you know, the, the first two words that come to my mind when I heard about this was shock and awe. Um, you know, I think that it's no secret that uh, many of our providers um, across the state of Michigan have spent literally years um, and, and countless hours lobbying and begging for an increase um, in, in funding. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, we would be doing a tremendous disservice if we didn't uh, acknowledge and recognize the Michigan legislature and, and Governor Whitmer for uh, the way in which they were able to come together, uh, especially in this um, you know, extremely political time that we seem to be living in right now um, uh, with regard to our political parties and, and such. But you know, they were able to recognize, I think, and focus on the need and put aside the, the uh, bipartisan um, bickering that often takes place in the legislative pro uh, process that we go through. So it, you know, I would echo Gary's comments. Uh, this is absolutely a game changer for EMS services, in my opinion, uh, here in the state of Michigan. Is it the is it the only solution? Probably not, but it's a huge, huge start uh, to put EMS services back on the right path. So let's talk a little bit about what it is that is bought is is a problem for EMS services right now, and what this money will help do specifically. Gary, you have been quoted um, in several publications now, including NBC News, that says the industry is, is not just bleeding, not in a crisis, that we are quote-unquote hemorrhaging. And that headline and, and that word, that statement itself has made a very large impact and played a key role, in my opinion, as to helping us solidify these dollars. Talk a little bit about why you say that and what it is that is what this the industry is hemorrhaging so i've been in this business for 40 years 40 plus years and i have never seen it this bad um i don't know if it's complacency i don't know if it's uh, the the work we do is not as attractive as maybe it was when tv shows like emergency and johnny gage and roy DeSoto were on but we certainly are having trouble getting people in courses, you know, in a small community, we're, we're not going to be able to attract people from big communities to come to little Barriga to, to work as a, as a paramedic. And so we have to, we have to find somebody that's invested in the community, to, you know, to take a course. So these dollars were, will certainly help with, uh, potentially wage increases, uh, potentially funding some of the courses. And, and as Ken said, you know, this isn't the 100% the answer. This is the start. And we certainly have to look for other opportunities to fund EMS. But 
this is this is a big deal and if we can somehow make the business attractive and get people in and take fill the seats of courses and eventually maybe attract them to go on to the advanced levels whether it be EMT specialist or the paramedic level it will be a huge benefit to all of Michigan that's a great point, Gary. And just as an aside, I have seen the recent trailer of a movie by Michael Bay, big action star called Ambulance. So maybe we will have our next big blockbuster to help us. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I don't know how it will come off, but we'll see. Can a lot of people out there are saying this is a rural issue? This is, you know, Gary's right. It's really hard to recruit somebody from, you know, Metro Detroit or Grand Rapids to come up and live 70 miles west of Marquette. Yet you are also quoted in several publications saying, not true. This is this isn't a problem everywhere in our state. Talk a little bit more about that and why this is, in your opinion, why is this a statewide or a, or a national issue and, and not just a very specific geographic problem? You know, I think it's I think it's clearly an industry-wide issue. Um, I don't believe that uh, the problem is unique uh, just to the rural community. Um, I think it may become it may look more pronounced in the in the rural community simply because. Uh, most rural providers simply don't have the depth of personnel uh, to be able to, to cover or to backfill um, some of these shortfalls uh, in staffing uh, that, that exist out there. But without question, this is a industry-wide problem. I, you know, my organization is lo- located six, roughly 60 miles northeast of the metropolitan Detroit area, um, you know, well within driving distance of uh, personnel to come and work uh, for my organization. Um, and we're not, we're not seeing uh, personnel do that. And I think the problem, honestly, Angela, is that we simply don't have the personnel. Um, you know, I think it, you know, it kind of goes back to the chicken egg question um, a little bit and that I think what happened um, for a number of years, we started to see a reduction in people entering uh, training programs for, to become EMTs and, and paramedics. And, you know, we are now um, experiencing, um, I guess, the, the fruits, which aren't very many fruits right now, of those declining enrollments. And, you know, typically we would be looking to recruit many of these graduates um, from these programs over the last year, year and a half, and they simply haven't been there. And so um, at best, all we're really doing uh, from a recruiting standpoint is, you know, we're trying to, you know, steal people from each other. Uh, or, or entice people to come from one organization to another, but we simply are not fulfilling the need of infusing new people into the system. So it sounds to me like this budget increase, this reimbursement increase couldn't have come at a, at a better time. This, this was, if it wasn't going to happen now, there could have been some very serious consequences uh, for the industry. Do I have that correct? I think so. I, I, I think that, um, you know, I think that we're not out of the woods. And I want to emphasize that this is a game changer. This is a, a huge down payment, if I can say it that way, on uh, beginning the rebuilding process of our industry. However, I think, you know, as most of your li- our listeners here probably recognize already, rebuilding our industry is something that's going to take time and, and simply um, you know, increasing the Medicaid budget is not going to fix that overnight. Um, now that we have, the, you know, some additional funding, 
uh, we can begin to begin to invest those funds into uh, the rebuilding of our industry. But I, but I, I think we have a very, very difficult period of time ahead of us. I think the next 12 to 18 months um, are going to be incredibly challenging for all providers, rural public or rural um, and, and urban providers. I don't think it matters what type of service you provide, whether it's municipal, private. Um, I don't think any of those really matter right now. I think everybody's facing the same challenges. And, and so uh, we have to find ways to survive the next 12 to 18 months until we start to, to see the, the, you know, some of these graduates um, uh, start to, to come out. Actually, Ken, you, that was a great segue because that's what I wanted to kind of focus our next question on. Uh, the next 12 to 18 months, if you currently have students in class, in paramedic class, it's going to take them approximately 12 to 18 months to complete their education, pass the national registry exam, and be able to begin to work for you. How do you get through this time period? And what, what do you see coming down the future to ensure that you are able to put people in class next when they're done? Well, that's a really loaded question. Um, so I think a couple of things have to happen um, starting now. And I, and I think the additional funding will help us to do that. I think, first of all, um, wages for EMTs and paramedics have been historically low. Um, this is an incredibly hard job for people to do. I don't think the public fully comprehends how challenging and how hard it is to be a, um, an EMT and a paramedic. And so I think what we have to first of all do is we have to take some of these dollars and we have to begin the process of increasing the income or the wages um, for these individuals. I think that the, the more action we take on getting those wages up to a more reasonable level, the more likely it is that we're going to entice or encourage people to want to pursue uh, EMS as a career. Once we've done that, then, then I believe what we will see, the, the next thing we have to do is we have to create those training programs and we have to um, find ways to bridge those gaps uh, that, that have existed for the last four or five years. And we need to expand access to training programs uh, all across our state, not just in the urban areas, but we need to do it up in Gary's uh, neck of the wood as well, woods as well, up in, in Upper Peninsula and, and, and uh, the Upper Lower Peninsula as well. So we have to become, uh, we have to really invest in training programs and, um, and find ways in which to uh, recruit, uh, you know, these new students into these training programs so that in 12 to 18 months, we do have a pool of people from which to choose from. Gary, do you have anything you want to add to that? Just that this didn't happen overnight and it's not going to be fixed overnight, which is very unfortunate. And perhaps, you know, we're a very proud profession and perhaps we have not told our story um, because nobody likes to admit that we're struggling or, or whatever it be, but um, certainly we've gotten the word out and, you know, with, with the state certainly recognizes um, the issues right now. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be more help than just the Medicaid dollars at some point. So Gary, you had said earlier that you write off about $100,000 a year um, in, in Medicaid. So the difference, I'm assuming you mean that is the difference between what it costs you and what you are reimbursed by Medicaid for those trips, for that, for that percentage of, of your patient population. Do you anticipate with this increase being able to recoup 100% of those dollars or are you still going to be a little short? 
we're still going to be short, absolutely. Um, but when when Medicaid pays right now somewhere between twenty five and thirty percent of a bill, and, and that that additional seventy to seventy five percent is just written off as bad debt or whatever, um, moving moving that up to a pay scale that's you know eighty percent of what we bill or or something in that line, that that's a lot of money that will be added to our budget for. Um, whatever we need to use it on. And, you know, the idea was to improve wages and benefits um, for employees. Um, so I, again, I, I, I can't tell you how beneficial that will be for us as well. Have you told your employees that this increase is coming through and this is what you hope to do with these funds yet? And what was their reaction if you did? Yes, I absolutely told them. I was just excited. I had to tell somebody, <laughs> um, and, and they were they were very pleased. You know, everybody likes to have a raise and be acknowledged for the work they do. Um, but there is another issue. At some point in time, people want time off, and you know, and the ability to bring in one or two more. At some point in time, the money's not an issue. It's like you 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 just had enough, and I just want to be off. I want to be able to do something without carrying a pager or cell phone and being with my family. So, so they were excited about this increased revenue so that potentially we could hire additional employees so that when they were off, they were really off. And and that, that is huge in, in their attitude. Um, They don't come to work as, as ornery and cranky um because when we're when when it doesn't matter when we're tired we are naturally not as jovial and excited about work and such so so the people here were definitely pleased to to hear that we're trying to do something and that this isn't the end that's actually exciting news ken how about your staff what'd they say yeah absolutely i you know i think what what these announcements have done for the staff and and to be honest with you you know, we have tried to follow this pathway for several months. Uh, and, and I think what it does is it gives hope to our people. Um, yes. And I think that, um, you know, one of the, you know, retention strategies that, you know, we've employed in our organization for, for several years is to is simply to create an environment uh, where people want to come, where people enjoy themselves. Gary's absolutely right. There comes a point, becomes a point in time where it's no longer about the money and the double time and, and all the, the, the perks that you're trying to provide. It becomes a quality of life if issue for people. And we're ser- certainly seeing that in, in the hospital setting. Uh, we're cert- seeing it in the EMS setting as well. And um, you know, we're seeing people walk away from careers with no prospects for a job and they don't care. Because it because again it's a quality of life issue and people are just tired and um, you know they 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 don't mind backfilling and helping out for a period of time but that gets old over a period over, after a while and and they want to get back to their normalcy a little bit so yeah it you know it was very encouraging I think my staff is fairly upbeat right now um, in in regards to that. Um, and, you know, I think it's important that organizations share that information with their employees and, and encourage them um, as well, because I think it does give hope. And I think that's what a lot of people seek right now is hope. I think, Ken, that's a, I think that's a statement, a general statement for, for everybody. I think everybody is seeking hope right now, hope that we 
at some point exit out of this new pandemic lifestyle. So, uh, hope that we are able to move forward. H- hope that we're able to go back to life as we used to know it, right? Um, what has, this is kind of an off topic question, but I, but I think it's relevant and I think it's important for every, all of our listeners to know, what has the pandemic meant to your staff? What, is it, what does their daily life look like now compared to what it looked like 24 months ago? Well, I'll start there. Um, you know, I think the things that we see that are very different right now are all of the, um, you know, the protective um, strategies that we've, we've put in place, the safety issues relative to, uh, you know, the PPE utilization and, and, uh, and such. You know, I think during certain times uh, over the last 18 months, uh, we've seen pockets of increase. Um, you know, in, in my community, we're going through that right now. Um, uh, since the 1st of October, um, we're running about 25% over our normal call volume right now, which is pretty big. Uh, that's a lot, that's a large number for us. And we're seeing a lot of COVID positivity. Um, and we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of uh, a demand for service. And that, you know, that, that becomes exhausting uh, for the staff after a while. I know I, you hear this on, on the news programs all the time that healthcare workers are exhausted. And, and you know, I, I don't want to you know I don't want to kind of use a cliche, but I but I think I do think people are tired. But I have to tell you, um, EMS people perhaps are the most resilient people um, out there. And um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking with our staff and and you know creating those opportunities for them to share uh, their their views, their opinions, um, their thoughts. Um, in an effort to preserve them and to keep them well and to keep them uh, active and, and to help them to know and understand that they do have an outlet uh, that's available to them uh, when they reach that point where they, they just feel like they can't take it anymore. And um, one of the things I find with, with our people, and I think it's true among most EMS people, you know, most crews will come back from a call routinely and, and decompress with each other. They will, they will talk about the things that happened on the call, the things that they did. And, you know, that's kind of their post-incident debrief, if you think about it that way. And so we've encouraged that. We've encouraged them to, um, to come back from those calls and, and talk about them and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, aside from the PPE and, and, and you know, just the overall you know, enormous precautions that we're taking. Um, I'm not sure we've seen a whole lot of difference in terms of what what we do. Um, it just again, the demand has been had peaks, um, and and that gets exhausting, and and the PPE. But other than that, I think it's still business as usual for us. Gary, how about you? Anything changed up north? Um, not a lot. Um, our call volume is up probably because we had a substantial amount of people that didn't want to go to the hospital or to the doctor because they were afraid of catching something that might be out there. So, I, I, and so the, the patient that has cardiac disease, their cardiac disease has just gotten worse. The person that has, you know, ab- abdominal pain is now going in because they need emergency surgery and stuff like that. So, um, but as far as our personnel numbers, it really didn't affect our personnel numbers whatsoever. People, like Ken said, you know, people are tired. They're tired of being masked and they're tired of being in gowns and, and, and respirators for two hours as they do a transfer to Marquette or whatever. Um, 
other than being probably busier than what we've been in the past, there's been no real huge change. Well, that's actually, I think, positive news for a, a lot of people and a lot of listeners. Like, what do we need to do uh, from an association standpoint, from an individual agency perspective to get more people into the industry? Are, is there anything unique, outstanding out there that either of you can throw out there off the top of your head? Where do we go from here? That's a $64,000 question. <laughs> Boy, if we had the answer, we would all so, be very, very wealthy. It's a $12.9 million question, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, I, you know, I just think we need people and we need money. And you, you can't make money unless you have people and you don't have people unless you have money. So that continues, that, that will continue probably for the rest of my career, probably as long as EMS is out there and other, and other businesses. Um, but I, I think we just have to continue to keep our name out there. Um, you know, make, make sure that our legislators, legislators know what's up. Um, make sure that our local officials know what's up, whether it be your, your city councils, your township boards, your county board they've got to know what's going on um, because they can't help if they don't know. And, and again, it goes back to what I've been preaching um, to organizations up here. We've got to tell our story, whether it's good or bad, um, but they, they need to know. And certainly by, you know, keeping that word alive, uh, it, it can only benefit us. I, I would absolutely echo everything Gary said. I think you nailed it, Gary. I, I think that we have to make, our industry look more attractive to people. Um, I think we have to work on, on, you know, more, not that it isn't professional right now, but I think we have to work on that more and we have to recognize um, the importance of, of proper wages um, for the type of work uh, that our people do. You know, know, the other thing I think that is really profound about this Medicaid increase, at least in my opinion, is, you know, the, the increase that the legislature and the governor approved was actually greater than we had asked for. And to me, I, I think that what that sort of says is that our message is getting through and we need to continue to keep that message going, as Gary said, not just with, with state uh, folks uh, or federal folks, although we need to do all those things, but even with our local folks. I think what we find in our local communities is um, and I just did a, a presentation last night with my board of commissioners, but, you know, we only have 11 states in the United, in the country that recognize EMS as an essential service. And yet, if you ask any citizen in your community, is EMS an essential service or ambulance an essential service? I think they would clearly say, yes, I expect an ambulance to arrive when I request one and when I need one. And so I think we need to continue to pound um, that message in and that, um, this is an important thing. I think, I think the, the pandemic has clearly taught the public, and, and this is good for our industry, believe it or not, that we are essential to them. And they leaned on us, and they leaned on us a lot, um, and they continue to lean on us. And so I think we need to leverage that, and we need to take advantage of that and, and, and begin to, to find our place in the system. And, um, and I think that's going to be really important for us moving forward uh, to do that. Those are some 
Excellent points from both of you. Okay. I always like to end the podcast with an open-ended question or an an opportunity for you to say anything that you feel that you missed during um, our conversation. Uh, This time, however, I'm not going to give you the, I'm not going to give you the choice. Lucky you give me your best elevator pitch for joining the EMS industry. I, I think it's incredibly rewarding. If you ever had the opportunity to read some of the communications that as the CEO of my organization, I receive, you would without question, jump into this industry in a heartbeat. The gratitude that the public expresses to us for the work that our people do is incredible. And the reward um, is just unbelievable. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Most recently, I've been asked a ton of times, so when are you going to hang it up? And I have no intentions of hanging up. And yes, I have administrative duties and educational duties, but I really enjoy my 911 calls. I enjoy my transfers. I love to sit down and just talk with people. And, you know, probably... 80 to 90% of what we do is not the fancy stuff that you see on TV. It's tender, loving care and just trying to make somebody feel better um, that way. And I would, I would not trade my career for any other in the world. Um, And, you know, like Ken said, it is very rewarding and we, and, and maybe that's, that's another thing maybe that we have to, maybe that we have to announce to our students or let them know that it's not TV land when they come into the courses that, you know, a bulk of what you do is not all the fancy skills and the fancy techniques that it is all about people and making your patients feel better, no matter what it takes. And if it's means sitting down and talking to them for an hour while they're being uh, transfer to a, to a higher level of care, whatever that, that that's what it's all about is to make our patients feel better. I think that was a great place to end our conversation today. Gary Wadiga from Bay ambulance in Berga in Michigan's beautiful upper peninsula, Ken Cummings from tri hospital EMS in gorgeous port Huron. Thank you both for joining us today. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast, the go-to source for information about Michigan's EMS system. Be sure to visit miambulance.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access other important information from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services.